Hello, my darlings, and welcome back to Radio Wasteland? Question mark? Uh, that is the name of our show. Is yes. this Radio Wasteland? I am your host. not a cooking show? I oh, don't think. Cooking up awesomeness. I'm your host, oh Chauncey Haworth, and this is my <laughs> co-host, Sean. How are you That's doing, right. Sean? Pretty good. I need to stop reading political articles before I go to bed, though, especially before a radio show, because last night I had this weird, crazy dream that Steve Bannon was coming on our show to tell us some bombshell news about the White House. That would be and awesome. I, it would be awesome, <laughs> but I just, like, woke up in this cold sweat. I don't uh, know why. It was just like, it was, it's a freaky dream somehow. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds like anticipation. That would, <laughs> that would be awesome. You know? That would be awesome. Regardless on one's political stances, you know. I right. Mean, well, I mean, I, I think that would clearly signal that we had made it. Yeah, but totally. Though now, now I want to see some politician just, like, pick out of the hat some local conspiracy show somewhere in the U.S., like maybe somewhere in the Midwest, somewhere right. no one's even heard of, and just go on that show and then just, like... Right before the show starts, just be like, I can't, and then hang up, and then just, like, leave the world wondering. Wondering what they were about to say. Exactly. Yeah, because... That's what I would do if I held any sort of political power, which is a a good indication of why I don't and probably shouldn't. Totally, man. (laughs) This has always been my argument for electing people, you know? Everybody's just like, yeah, I like him. He reminds me of me. And I'm all, you know, I like me. I'm a real nice guy. I really like me. I would invite me to go have a drink. Yeah. There's no chance in hell I would ever elect me for anything. So if a guy reminded me of me, that would be a deal breaker for the election. <laughs> well, you're you're wiser than I. <laughs> I I would vote for someone who is exactly like me. And really? Be like, yeah, the world will burn, but totally. Gosh darn it, it's you know he's he's my tribe or whatever. Totally. <laughs> Stole forty acres and a cat in every pot. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So what's new in your world? Nothing. Uh, no, not not too much. Besides unpleasant Steve Bannon dreams. I'm having um a freaky uh kind of science fiction esque uh, experience in my life. Um, I am so slammed with work. Mm-hmm. I just have so much work to do that I am just terrified of getting sick. Mm. And we're having like you know a crisis of sick folks around the country. And so every Friday night, Called flu season. Yeah, well, I mean, this year, every is, year. <laughs> this year is exceptionally bad. That is true. And people are dying, like every year. Yeah, no, Just but like this year it's like personal trainers and, and you know, <laughs> oh, okay. kids that look like that German kid from uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> Seriously, important people are dying. All right, and so. I'm like terrified, and like uh, every every Friday night, uh, I have date night with my wife, and we go out, and we tend to go to uh, the casino and then a local bar around here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm terrified. I'm terrified that I'm going to get sick. I'm constantly aware of if my hands are anywhere near my face or any of my mucous membranes. Yeah, I uh, I lather myself up with a. Uh, with anti-sick juice, what's it called? I don't know. Antibiotics, antiseptics, antibacterial soap. Something. That's it. That okay. last one. That last one. Yeah. The, yeah. Presumably, uh, you're not just like rolling in penicillin. Purell. Purell. I, I purell my hands <laughs> like there's no tomorrow. And normally, I'm not scared of getting sick. Throughout most of my life, right. I'm, I'm just oh well. If it happens, it happens. 
But if it happens this time, you'll just be ruined and destitute. Yeah, yeah. I just have way too much to do, and I have, like, no um, escape strategy. So I have mm-hmm. no, like... Well, this show is a prime example. I don't have an episode in the hopper. I thought so, we did one. No, wait, no. that was for the Christmas episode. Uh, you're right. No, we had Raw, but then Raw aired. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So it's like... We got nothing in the hopper. Okay, well, you know I would cover for you. You know, I would struggle my way through it. And you did a lot of interesting calls, I'm sure, for... All right. From, you no, know, I'm comfortable with that. I'm, to- <laughs> I'm totally comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we need to come up with a uh, strategy for how Sean will deal with this show. Uh, I'll wing it. You'll just wing it. I'll wing it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's what we do every day. <laughs> maybe we need a fallback person for you to call to wing it with. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. You got a little buddy? I mean, I have like two or three friends, so. We're tied. Yeah. I have about that. <laughs> I have about that. That's kind mm-hmm. of the hard part with like a. It's a good number. You know, well, more friends the... than that, and, you know, they just need stuff. They have like, you get roped into all these obligations, you know. Yeah. Three yeah, well, is like a nice low maintenance number. Right. Well, the audience out there, as you have heard, between Sean and I, we probably share we probably together have about five or six friends. Yeah, that's true. So if any of you guys want to be our friend, <laughs> I'm not really sure how to make yeah. that happen. I uh, mean, maybe they could submit an application. Right. Maybe a, a small, like, processing fee for yeah. the application. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how all, all the best friendships start. <laughs> yeah, totally. Through extortion yeah i need one of those uh amazon book lists you know the the wish lists mm-hmm. do people still do that or is that like a chat room i, I think so is that the equivalent of a online chat room or, i mean i have no idea or message board uh, i think people still use those yeah. people do yeah just on the dark web for bitcoin and canadian <laughs> viagra what do they use it for <laughs> I don't know. I just, I I think people use it. Like, Amazon's, in theory, Amazon is, yes, Jared, you can be my friend. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the, the producer just passed me a $20 bill and a note that said, can I be your friend? All right. Yeah. So. I'm guessing that means Jared has less than two or three friends, <laughs> which is what we were yeah, just talking sorry, about. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I, I didn't. Yeah, this was insensitive of us. We're like, oh, my God, we only have two or three friends. Yeah, we might have a listener out there that's just all, they were my only friend, and now (laughs) I know the truth. All right, so uh, tonight's guest is William Pullen, and we are talking about the history of UFOs. And now, granted, that's a little bit of a shady title. Because, well, I mean, um, a little, not shady, a little bit of a... Misleading, potentially misleading, okay. because we don't know what the history of UFOs is. So, so really, the topic is the history of what we think we know, the history right. of what we're trying well, to figure out. Well, I mean, out. the whole the word UFOs means, you know, things that we don't understand. Right, and so, I you know, from right. our perspective, yeah, there's a history of UFOs. Right. And it's not the history of, you know, the lizard people and their recon missions on the planet. You know, that's it's not that, because we don't know about that. Is that an option? Do you know I, this guy? <laughs> I wish, but no. Yeah, you know, we haven't had any uh, reptilian folks. No, I guess we haven't. That's weird. Seems like a, a gap in our in our lineup there. But I, for one, am very excited. 
Uh, I am too. I I enjoy these sorts of uh, nuts and bolts uh, researchers right. who really. Well, I don't know too much about the history of UFOs, and I'm just I'm really excited to learn actually. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious how far back we're going to go because, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the producer was saying uh, when we were outside. He saw what are there little hieroglyphs with little UFOs and all? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> if you look, if you look back at these things, there really kind of are little hieroglyphs with little UFOs. Yeah. Well, even just history of UFOs in the 20th century would be you know interesting and extensive. I'm sure because that in itself is a huge topic. Right. All right. Well, uh, it's time for the commercial break. So, uh, you know, go uh, relieve yourself, get some uh, hot cocoa or whatever it is you do, and come on back in about two minutes for William Pullen here on Radio Wasteland. All right. Welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest, William Pullen. Uh, William, you got uh, you there with us? Hello, sir. How are you? Oh, real good. How are you doing? Good. Good. So you are a, you know, I I refer to myself as a self-made horror historian. I'm a big fan of horror (laughs) films. So you are a self-made UFO historian. Uh, Yes, sir. You hit the nail on the head. That's the crux of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, So so I pretty much devour UFO knowledge and books and whatever I come across and uh, do my best to be knowledgeable about it all, so. So, um, you know, was there something that just got you started, or did were you just chasing the imagination behind it? Uh, we started about 20 years ago, and I was um, an extreme skeptic. Uh, but a friend of mine referred me to, or encouraged me to go spend some time at Roswell at the museum and just um, dispassionately look at everything and read everything they had in the museum, from books to files. And um, over the course of a few weeks, it finally dawned on me that there's something to this whole deal. And from then on, just kind of blossomed from there. So so a lot of the time when when I'm looking at UFOs, um, you know, looking at UFO information, there seems to be just such a wide array of different types of sightings. Have you noticed any sort of consistency, some sort of some sort of um, thing that, that can lead us to believe that there's, like, one message going on here? Well, it's such a diverse field, and there's, I mean, there's obviously been the, the UFO waves that have occurred in the past um, in France, in the States, uh, the States back in 47. Um, and there's a, very, there's a wide array of ships that have been sighted. There's a wide array of... Um, of occurrences, there's landings, there's been crashes, there's been abductions, there's been daylight discs, there's been radar visual occurrences, um, and there's 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 a general patterns can be uh, brought to bear through the information uh, if you look at the data dispassionately. Um, but as an overall explanation for it, um, that is seems to be beyond everyone's grasp because each theory that's brought to bear seems to explain parts of the phenomenon, but they each have their holes. They can't be, uh, can't uh, seem to explain the entire deal. So, um, right. And there's probably you know. always the, you know, we're starting to see some sort of consistency, but there's, there's probably always sightings of ever changing terrestrial UFOs, uh, top secret things from our own planet. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, by definition, a UFO is simply an unidentified flying object by that strict definition. Uh, unfortunately, the general person who's really not uh, 
knowledgeable about the UFO issue assumes that UFO means alien spacecraft. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that's definitely a problem for the UFO community. Um, but UFO can legitimately mean any object flying, whether it's ours or not, in the air that's unidentified. So certainly some of the sightings that are made, uh, a good chunk, I would think, are of technology that's of earthly origin, definitely, you know. Yeah, well, our government is constantly coming out. I mean, recently, just here in the news, they they admitted to spending a lot of money uh, looking in unidentified flying objects. And and really, if you think of some of these crafts, uh, what's that A-shaped black one, uh, Blackbird or something like that, uh, the stealth uh, bomber? Are you referring to the Aurora? The stealth bomber. Stealth bomber, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That thing, I mean... Prior to us knowing of that thing's existence, if we were to see that flying through the sky, you know, we'd probably <laughs> think it was alien. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, the performance characteristics are pretty pretty far ahead of whatever uh, is flying in the air that we're aware of. So, yeah, exactly right. And until we're made aware of it by our, our own government, it's slash military. Yeah, that's a, that's a UFO. <laughs> Definitely. So what, yeah. did you, what did you make of the uh, recent news from the government saying that they had invested millions of dollars into researching these. Um, it's funny. I was I was at a um, a holiday party for our local MUFON group, although I'm not a member of MUFON, and the story came on CSNBC. And uh, I saw the story go on, and the reporter actually was pretty objective about it. Um, Leslie Kane was the uh, researcher being interviewed. So I looked at the data and thought, Okay, well, our military pilots, personnel have come across UFOs in the skies over our country, and our Pentagon spent taxpayer dollars to investigate things that we can't explain, which I would think is a good uh, good way to spend taxpayer dollars because the Air Force's job is to defend our skies. So clearly, if there are unidentified objects in our skies, they can't clear. Uh, they need to, we need to know what they are. And so spending $20 million or whatever the total was on that, um, seemed a pretty logical, um, endeavor. Yeah. I didn't um, find $20 million to be all that much money, frankly. When, no, when no. we talk I mean, about, we'd love to have $20 million in the pocket, you know, <laughs> right. Cause like, yeah. you know, a lot of the people who are complaining about, uh, spending and stuff like that, 22 million million yeah, the drop in the bucket. Yeah. That makes me think like, what, we get six hammers. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like <laughs> five, maybe. Yeah. yeah, right. It's like that no, didn't exactly seem like right. much yep. money. I mean, um, but I looked at it just with the data, and I, I, I my my friends that are um, in the UFO community—that's a very great terminology, a term using that—but um, they they ran with it, and some looked at the data, the story objectively, and the other ones interpreted it like. Uh, it was disclosure, or it was a black ops program, and they then and the data. To me, the story didn't really go in that direction. They simply stated the obvious that the Pentagon spent taxpayer dollars to investigate UFOs, and that was that. Um, yeah, this uh, might be a little bit arrogant of me in in an American fashion, um, but I between our technology, both in the government and in the private sector, and our uh, you know, intelligence technologies and stuff like that. I find it hard to believe that that another country has something terrestrial from this planet that can move like that that we just don't know about. Yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with that. Yeah, 
So every I time mean, I see that, and and when I see that our government doesn't know, I immediately think, well, then this this must be from from another planet because yeah, you yeah, know. the flight characteristics were pretty pretty beyond our terrestrial abilities. I mean, um, I had one individual made a statement to me saying, well, maybe it's a black ops program. These gentlemen didn't know what they were filming. I thought, okay, well, if that was the case, then certainly the Pentagon would not have released that video to us. Right. So it kind of, it kind of eliminates that that uh, that theory. Yeah. So if it's not a black ops program, because we wouldn't be aware of it, then there has to be another explanation. And if another country on this earth had that kind of technology, I, the general public of America would be in trouble. Right. <laughs> you know, and, along, and, with our, along with our military. Right. And so Russia... You think, okay, well, what was filled with something else, so... Yeah, and Russia is a superpower, and they have a massive military, but they're not exactly known for being stealthy. They're known for having these big (laughs) dreadnought tanks. They're not known for, you know, having, (laughs) you know, it's like no, not at all. No, they're 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 not. They're a threat because they're antagonistic, but uh, our military is clearly the superior military on the planet by a wide Mm -hmm. margin. Yeah, yeah, um, that's interesting. Yeah. And then the so. most interesting part about that report to me, I was actually talking about it last week on the show, is that at the end of the report, they said that they decided that the money needed to be allocated elsewhere. They didn't say, we found nothing and this is all just big hoax and lame and all that, which they would have said yeah. in the past. Yet You're this right. time, they purposefully, it seems, didn't say that. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's hard not to read between the lines, but it 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 uh, it pays dividends to just read what they released, and they clearly they clearly didn't advocate the idea that they actually explained these things. Mm-hmm. Um, they simply exp- they simply um, did their research, and evidently they're still UFOs. They're unexplained, and that's where they're still at. So, um, but the idea that our military is not investigating UFOs. Because uh, they claim they had they had shut down their UFO program after Project Blue Book closed up in '69. That's clearly not the case. Um, they simply admitted to the public that they spent some taxpayer dollars investigating them, but that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. No, it um, shouldn't. And and frankly, I think I think most people would want them to. Uh, if you, yeah. regardless of how yes. um, conservative one is, and I don't mean politically conservative, I mean conservative with their views about the spending or so on and so forth, if they were to be told that there were things flying and seen by our military and we didn't know what they were, I think they'd all say, well, yeah, we need to know what those things are, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, by definition, that's the Air Force's job. Um, So when there are things that are unidentified in your airspace, it's, it's a pretty logical assumption that you need to find out what those things are and um, they have not been able to do that. Uh, or if they have found out what some of them are, they're not willing to tell the public. But I, I, I just have this inkling that they don't know what they are. Oh, I'm um, sure that they don't. Or if they do, they don't know how they work. All right. Well, we're, we're going to quit uh, wasting your skills here on the present, and we're going to talk a little bit about the past. <laughs> when we come back, we're coming up on our first commercial break. You're listening to William Pullen here on Radio Wasteland. Come on back. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest, William Pullen, and we are talking about the history of UFOs. Um, William, my... Outrageous. Outrageous. Yes, it is. And <laughs> so how far back did these go? 
Well, the general public feels that the uh, the modern era of UFOs goes back to about the mid 1940s, and that's everyone thinks Roswell. Roswell. There were a few other sightings of note before then. Uh, the Ghost Rock is in 46 in Switzerland. Um, the Foo Fighters during World War II. Um, there was a wave in 1897, the uh, Great Airship Wave, but it really it really hit the ground running come the mid 1940s. That's interesting. So it's like, so when when you're looking into this, you're not going like way back. You're not getting like ancient alien. You're you're pretty much starting from the beginning of the sighting phenomena here in the in the recordable age of people saying, "Hey, we saw something," and moving up yeah, from there, much. right? Yeah, um, because you go back too far, then the 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 amount of available evidence is pretty scant. You're relying on the reliability of journalism in the, these older newspapers. Um, you have a, uh, a wanting of physical evidence, mm-hmm. and virtually all of the witnesses are dead. So it's very hard to do a cold case investigation of a case that's over, say, 70, 80 years old. Even the Roswell case, I don't even know if there's any first-hand witnesses that's still alive to this day. So, um, But cases like uh, Kecksburg in 65 and Rendlesham in 1980, those are much more recent, where the witnesses are alive, there's a potential physical evidence, and you can really go back and objectively look at these things and try to determine what... Uh, I, I'd like to look at a case and determine what it isn't first. Yeah. And if extraterrestrial is still on the table, then that's a potential, potentially strong case. So. You know, I, I agree with not going back too far, although going back far, you know, kind of tis, uh, tickles my... My imagination, it doesn't really sort of give me any um, meat to go with. I was kind of joking about this earlier. My wife and I, uh, we watched Jeopardy religiously, and the final Jeopardy category was the first century. And I'm just all, how are, I could pretty much write anything. They're, how do they know, you know, if this is right <laughs> or wrong? How are they going to tell me the answer is wrong? Um, sure. yes. So what case do you find the most compelling? Uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of the Exeter, New Hampshire case. I'm not familiar um, with that one. Can you tell us about that one? Uh, Exeter, New Hampshire, that happened in September of 1965. Um, and that case was a multiple witness case. There was physical evidence. There were law enforcement officials that were uh, involved in it. Um, and it went on for um, a fairly short amount of time. And it was written about in that classic book, uh, Incident at Exeter by John G. Fuller, which came out in 1966. And I, uh, actually, he's the, uh, he's the gentleman that wrote The Interrupted Journey that uh, profiled the Betty Barney Hill case. It came out the same year, in fact. Um, that's still an unexplained case because you, you had uh, radar traces, um, multiple witnesses. That's the kind of case you want as opposed to some other cases that have gotten a lot of uh, press in the UFO community, but they're single witness cases. And right, yeah, when looking at a case like that, you have to have names, you have to have dates, you have to have figures, you have to have physical evidence, and all these things need to be vetted with an objective mind saying, okay, was this person really there? Is this their job description? Uh, trying to find out if there are any red flags. If there's no red flags with any of the evidence brought forth, then you can look at their study and say, okay, something there's something to this. And then really delve in and um, 
get to the teeth of the matter. But Exeter fascinates me. Rendlesham is a fascinating case. All these cases that are relatively close in time, um, where the witnesses, the first-hand people are still around. And um, Roswell's an issue that's so far back. Um, there's a few other cases from the, uh, I mean, the Lubbock Lights, uh, which happened in 51. Uh, that's a that's a pretty legitimate case because it has, again, multiple witnesses. But, again, that's 1951. Yeah, that's definitely so the you, case. So, yeah. like, ones that are recent, um, you know, I'm scared to put myself out there and get smacked down by somebody who knows knows stuff. But <laughs> the one that blew my mind uh, was the lights over Phoenix. Yes. Yeah, back in 97, yeah. And that was, like, recent and familiar to me, and I watched it on the news. And, and to me, I was just... I was like, how can anybody look at this and not be um, extremely curious? You know, how can anybody look at this and and laugh the phenomenon off? Um, I couldn't say it better myself. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a that's a reason. Nineteen ninety seven is what <laughs> a couple of decades back, and yeah, yeah, you you had you have video evidence, you have multiple witnesses that can triangulate um, the craft altitude, the craft location. It was sighted across a good swath of Arizona. Um, you had witnesses from uh, different age groups, different political affiliations. You had retired airline pilots. You had military pilots. You had truckers. You had it ran, it ran the whole gamut. And it was literally thousands of people. Some of the, some of the explanations that were put forth didn't hold didn't hold water. So yeah, what were some of the explanations? I never got any of the explanations. I just got the footage in the news thing. Uh, was there anything that is even worth throwing uh, well, out there. One that, the one that comes to mind was uh, <laughs> the Air Force claimed that they were uh, they were flares dropped from A-10 warthogs um, over the Barry Goldwater guttery range. Um, oh, no, if you've seen this, but footage, I heard that story. Was... I thought, okay, well, how how do flares maintain altitude? How do flares maintain position in relation to each other? Yeah, they were uh, they were definitely moving issues, in unison. I'm not aware of any flares that can do that. So yeah. that. The explanation really didn't hold water. So it still, it doesn't lead you to the extraterrestrial, but it does maintain um, the fact that that's a UFO. It's still unidentified. And, um, again, that's another case that's relatively close in time and multiple witnesses. And it certainly got a lot of press coverage, more than some other cases do. Yeah, it did. I I just don't yeah. even understand how somebody could look at that and not want to know more. Wait, what, was the military saying like we know these were flares, like we did this, or that's uh, that's or, pretty or much their statement. Their statement release was these are these were flares dropped by A ten warthogs over the Barry Goldwater Gunnery Range. Oh, if that's the case, <laughs> that's that makes the military you know, knows. And, uh, <laughs> well, that's bizarre. So, <laughs> yeah. So that yeah, that and, brings up the that if that's the case, that means the military knows what it was, because it obviously wasn't that. And if the military is trying to say that it's that, that means that they know what it really was. Yeah, it's it's um, it, it's one of those things where you get a statement from a government or military, and it may be wise not to read into it too much. I mean, they're claiming that was the explanation. And so a lot of the physical evidence does not go in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um. It it, it 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 gives me the idea that there's enough military um, installations in Arizona so that this craft was certainly being uh, 
certainly being tracked. The military was probably aware of it. I mean, maybe they weren't, but I would think they were probably aware of something that large in their airspace. And they may not have been able to explain it, but they may have been wanting to sweep it under the rug. They may have been wanting to uh, kind of stamp down on the press coverage of it. Um, but in, in my in my endeavors about wanting to explore these things, I mean, I, I tend to not pay attention to that kind of stuff. I just look at the evidence and say, okay, what does the evidence show instead of really paying attention to what the military says? Because what the military says is what they're wanting to say, what they want the public to believe as opposed to what does the evidence show, um, which is kind of like my mantra. What does the evidence show? And that's it. Um, and it's certainly still unidentified. So, does any of your evidence show, um, or any, not your evidence, but the evidence that you look at, <laughs> yeah. does it show to you, um, extraterrestrial or, or do you really feel that they're all just unidentified at this point? Now, now I'm going to get slapped. Um, I, <laughs> I advocate the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, I, I certainly don't think that proves the entire phenomenon in a nutshell. But the majority, I guess, how can I put this? I think the majority of the evidence leads you to the extraterrestrial. It doesn't prove it, but it leads you in that direction. Um, I look at, you look at Roswell, you look at Redwood, you look at the Washington Nationals case in 52. Uh, none of them were proven in stone. But if you just look at the evidence dispassionately and objectively and say, like a cold case and say, okay, what does the evidence show? Well, it's not a weather balloon, it's not lightning, it's not Soviet, it's not Japanese. It's, all these other explanations are explained. They're they're thrown away. So extraterrestrial is still on the table. It doesn't prove it, but my inkling is that these uh, these stronger cases. Yeah, I, I think it's you know. It, but again, it's um, it's five percent. I mean, every every big military, civilian, government study of UFOs always seems to come up with this consistent five percent above explained. Well, let me uh, let me catch you off there. We're coming up on our final commercial break. Um, Okay. You're listening to William Pullen on Radio Wasteland. During the break, go ahead, look him up, the Phoenix Lights, and you'll see what we were just talking about. So come on back with our guest, William Pullen. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest, William Pullen. We are talking about the history of UFO sightings. And, uh, you know, we're really kind of learning a lot here. You know, Rendlesham, you talked a lot about Rendlesham. Rendlesham was kind of a new one to me um, about two or three years ago is when I first uh, heard about that one. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that one? Uh, well, that happened in 1980, uh, late December, uh, around Christmas time. Um, in England, right? It, it, was an, it was an air base in Britain uh, that was used by uh, the British and the United States. And over a two-day period, um, a craft and lights were seen in the forest just outside the base perimeter, um, which is a big deal because this is a nuclear-armed base. Um, it was back in 1980. You know, the Cold War was in the full swing, and um, so it was kind of a kind of a big deal. And again, it was kind of swept under the rug. Um, neither country wanted to, wanted to attempt an explanation. The British said it's an American deal. The Americans said it was a British deal. So clearly, it was a they were playing UFO hot potato with the case. Um, hmm. The executive officer of the airbase, Colonel Charles Hall, uh, he retired as a colonel, um, went out into the force on the second night, actually recorded himself and his men on his miniature quarter in their 
exploration of the forest. Uh, on the first night, you had some NCOs, some military police, go out there and uh, observe this landed craft. And that was the first red flag for these men because evidently the, the craft landed as opposed to a crash. And the force was very dense. So this eliminated any kind of earthly aircraft. You can't fly a helicopter into a dense forest. Right. Um, it left behind landing traces, like the Socorro, cra- uh, Socorro landing back in 64. Um, the imprints were taken in uh, with, um, I'm drawing the blank right now. Um, but th- they did plaster casts of the imprints. Uh, mm-hmm. Evidently, there were radiation traces. And uh, none of this was really known to the public until the, the uh, Charles Halt, the man I mentioned, wrote a memo which was released a few years later. Um, so, again, you have military witnesses, multiple witnesses uh, on an airfield or outside an airfield. Um, and it's it's a fairly recent case, 1980. Uh, ironically, it was a case just north of Houston, Texas, um, Cass Landrum almost the exact same day around the other side of the planet. And that was another case where it was uh, clearly a military angle was part of the deal. But um, Rendlesham has been pretty thoroughly researched. Uh, there's been some drama with some testimony by some individuals which may or may not be legitimate or has not held up over time. Um, but there's a solid core of evidence there that uh, certainly leads you to believe that it was extraterrestrial. Yeah, especially with sightings that um, are way back, way back when the technological level, it's like, this is why I kind of, I'm with you on the side of it's probably extraterrestrial because if even in the 80s, but some of these sightings in the 60s and the 40s, I mean, to have that kind of technology, I mean, you know, for and it not to be extraterrestrial, we'd be dealing with like Captain Nemo or something, you know, I mean, having some sort of huge craft. Right. I mean, if our craft can't do it, I mean, it's the Soviets couldn't do it. Otherwise, the Soviets would have used that technology on us. Right. It's not Chinese. It's not. It's not ours. Otherwise, we would have used it on them. Right. Um, possibly. So, um, but again, it's 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 it needs to be taken um, like walking on eggshells. It, it's it's the evidence leads you to that conclusion, but it's not set in stone. Um, like before the commercial break, I was mentioning five percent. All these all these organizations have come up with that number as far as unexplained, which means ninety five percent of it is mundane. Mm-hmm. Uh, lightning strikes, helicopters, uh, the planet Venus, weather balloons—it runs the whole gamut. But consistently, five percent of these cases are unexplained. And ironically, the five percent that are unexplained are the cases with the most witnesses, with the most evidence, and with the most highly educated witnesses. And you would think with those three with those three criteria in play, you would think those cases would be explained. But ironically, they're unexplained. The explained cases are the ones where you have single witness, uh, no evidence as far as you know physical evidence. Um, so it's but among these five percent cases is Reynoldsham, Exeter, Roswell, Lubbock Lights, mm-hmm. and. Um, but pretty substantial things have happened and are continuing to happen to this day. So, Most of these uh, re- cases that we've talked about here in the 5%, you know, they have some commonalities. It's, you know, physical evidence and a huge number of witnesses and, and so forth, but it, it's generally like lights in the sky and some traces on the ground maybe 
Are there any, do you know of any credible cases of, for instance, abductions or, you know, interactions with humans and that kind of thing? Gosh, that's, um, there's abduction, there's compelling abduction cases. Mm -hmm. And um, there have been claims for physical evidence. You've had people that have um, testified to what they've experienced. Um, the issue, the issue for me is that a lot of times adoptees have to be um, hypnotized to mm. regain some of these memories. Mm. And hypnosis is a notoriously unreliable technique. Uh, that is not to say that they don't experience something, but um, I'm a big advocate of the scientific theory of of, of way of exploring these cases. And it's very hard to take testimony from an individual uh, as rock-solid, scientifically uh, proven evidence. Um, I myself do believe in the abduction scenario, uh, but I my gut tells me it's far less. My gut tells me that it's far less um, far less common than the general UFO sightings. Because we have millions of people that have claimed to have been abducted by aliens. And that is a big number. That is a big number. You know, uh, um, so if, if all these things are legitimate, uh, a, a large percentage of Americans have been abducted by aliens. And my, my objectively skeptical mind can't accept that. I mean, at, there are tens of thousands of UFO sightings around the nation every year. Right. We, we cannot be inundated with alien spacecraft twenty four seven. That just that just boggles my mind. Yeah, one um, hard thing so that I have yeah. with with um with rectifying the the UFO phenomena is um intent. Um, none of the evidence is ever leaving me with intent. I can't figure out why um they would do this. Do you have you yeah. been able to extrapolate any intent from from this stuff you've been researching? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, as far as the abduction scenario, I mean. Well, I mean, even uh, the sightings. Like, uh, why Bob are they Hopkins, coming here? Uh, why would they the come here? Bob Hopkins. Bob Hopkins always said that he never, he never, um, he never crossed, he never come across any any uh, any bad intentions for the aliens. Um. The, the trouble I have with the intent is we as human beings can't possibly know how an alien thinks. Right. Because an alien, by definition, would have evolved somewhere else other than here. Well, so yeah, Their that's... whole way of thinking, their whole logic, their whole value system may be completely different than ours. So um, why well, they're here? It's like the argument if we went to another planet and we met intelligent life, would we even know it? Yeah, exactly. You know, we really yeah, might I just mean, not even know it. Yeah, uh, they may be in search of intelligent life, and if they found us, they still haven't found it. <laughs> we <laughs> yeah, we blow so. each other up all the time, so it's not, uh, you know, uh, there's there's a reason why we have nothing to fear from them. Where Humans tend to shoot first. So right. They wouldn't have any uh, motivation to land on the White House lawn. I mean, we would surround them with tanks and probably attack them first before asking, oh, maybe they come in peace. Well, that's for so, sure. Well, we're here at the end of the show. Um, can you tell our audience a little more uh, about how they can find out more about you and follow you um, moving forward? Well, you can find my group on Facebook. It's called You For Real, 
a historical review. Um, it's a Facebook group and page, but the group is where I usually do my work. It's, uh, it contains video snippets, case histories, profiles of individuals of note, book reviews, and that, and poll questions. Um, it has, uh, 1,648 members worldwide and is a public group. And anybody on Facebook can join my group and I let everybody in and hopefully everybody gets to just examine the evidence. And, uh, my motivation is to make everyone think and draw their, their own conclusions about this whole issue. So. All right. Well, thank you, William, very much for being on the show. Uh, you know, the one thing Thanks that you someone. threw out there that blew my mind was leaving the impressions from the landing. That is something I am definitely going to go research. It never even crossed my mind. You've been well, listening you to have me on. Thank no you so problem. You've been listening to William Pullen here on Radio Wasteland. Check us out next week. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland. You've been listening to our guest William Pullen talking about the history of UFOs. Uh, Sean, I really like having those guests on that are rigorous. We kind of throw around <laughs> those terms skeptical, but the the guests that are science based uh you know very yeah by the facts really trying to figure this out without speculation yeah yeah i, I agree and i uh i learned a lot of stuff that i didn't know there like i don't actually know that much about ufos i'm like in terms of the paranormal things that i know a lot about it's a lot more like closer to earth stuff other than the one you showed up in what other than the mork egg you showed up in I, I'm not following that. Uh, All right. <laughs> what were you saying? Y yeah, but it, <laughs> I do have to admit that, like, uh, of all the different topics we, we talk about, I think the existence of UFOs is, is by far the most likely, even though, like, my favorites are, are you know, weirder cryptids. stuff. Like, right. yeah, cryptids, ghosts, you know, psychics, whatever. Right. Because yeah. those things are all kind of, like, human interesty they're really close to home yeah the things but, that tickle your imagination those exactly. are definitely the ones i like you know? but you know ufos you you can't deny that there's there's a ton of meat there in a way that there just isn't for a lot of these other topics and it's really interesting to hear someone go through that yeah well, i'd he, never even heard of the uh what was that rendlesham forest yeah hmm. yeah yeah that's definitely one of the big ones but the new thing that he introduced me to was I didn't know, it never really crossed my mind, the landing prints, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I'm definitely going to have to research this. This is totally yeah. interesting, you know. Well, isn't that like the whole thing behind crop circles or something? Yeah, I don't know. They're like that, but much more, <laughs> much less credible, I guess. I have a, I have a hard time <laughs> with crop circles. For yeah. one, that we know that a lot of them were hoaxes. Right. Well, yeah, I <laughs> and then for two, you know, what a weird shaped, why is your landing gear shaped like a Celtic knot? What's going on with that? Yeah. yeah. That, that is a good point, but. It just yeah. doesn't seem very practical. No. No, well, I like the fact that we touched on at the end there that this, this guy is clearly very rigorous about the, all the stuff and he goes through it, but like, he has to admit, yeah, we just don't know what they're doing. Because the evidence doesn't tell us. <laughs> right. And that's it's always just been not there. <laughs> that's always been a major confusing part for me is yeah. intent. Why would they even come here? Right. If not to communicate. Yeah. The mid 40s was a while ago. So it seems like, you know, if they had a plan, they they could have executed it by now. Right. right. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> but, 
Well, I think we were talking about this the other week. I mean, are they really just coming here to probe us and to dissect our cows? I mean, mm-hmm. that seems kind of like a weird reason to come here. Yeah. You know, we were talking about this uh, another time also when we were talking about when I brought up that we had figured out that there were many more galaxies than we previously believed. Right. And at this point, I, I think maybe the most likely explanation for the behavior of UFOs is there's actually so much life in the universe that we're not particularly exceptional, and they're just kind of like tourists popping in. We're like a, we're like a gas station on some right, old, old like country we're, road. We're not even necessarily a destination. Otherwise, they would be stopping and bothering with us. You know, maybe we're just like right. you know some some random place, and they're just passing through, and it's like, oh hey, what are those things? It's like, ah, oh, they're humans. Don't worry about it. They're There's... just here to pick up a diet Pepsi and a three month old egg salad sandwich <laughs> from the fridge, and pretty like much continue yeah. on their vacation. And you know they they don't you know, want to bother with us because there's another species that's exactly like us, but just slightly more interesting in the next galaxy over. So right. just don't worry about it. Huh. That's depressing. It is, but when you think about it, that would explain it. Because, like, if we were cosmically interesting, you would expect more from these guys. Well, I am <laughs> leaning towards the idea that life is common. Mm-hmm. Um, we know... That there are entire nebulas made out of basically amino acids, the equivalent of like what beer? Yeah, basically beer. There's <laughs> there are light year across nebulas made out of beer, basically. Right. Pretty much any compound you can think of is floating right. out in space in huge quantities. Right, quantities, and and, so. and these are organic. Compounds. They're yeah. just not necessarily alive like we're thinking yeah. of them, but they're so close. Yeah. And so the idea, I don't know. They're just, it has to be. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, I would agree. And then recently, we in the news, we had the new object flying through from outside of our solar system. Mm-hmm. That which, was that uh, large sort of spear shaped asteroid. Yes. Yeah, but we don't even know what to call it because we've never seen one before. We don't right. actually have a name <laughs> for an object from outside of our solar system because this is the first time we've ever seen it happen. Even comets yeah. are from within our solar system. Yeah. But this was the first time we definitively saw an object from outside of our solar system. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a lifespan thing, too. You know, maybe think about it. If- if aliens lived, you know, for a hundred thousand or a million years or whatever, you know, and they encountered some humans, it's like, well, don't bother making friends, you know, and they'll just be dead soon. So totally, don't maybe wa- they're like don't the worry ends. About it. Yeah, exactly. By the time they say hello, <laughs> we'll be dead. Exactly. Ugh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't love that, but you know, these are all these all make sense. <laughs> well, there was an episode of uh, Star Trek, as is so often the case. Star Trek. They uh, covered all of these ideas. They covered everything. Yeah. And one was something about the gravitational pull of the planet Mm -hmm. caused time to go by faster on the planet than off the planet. Hmm. And so they were trying to communicate with them on the planet and they couldn't figure it out. And then when they did finally figure it out, time was just flying by. So in the couple of hours or days that they were orbiting the planet, they actually evolved from the Stone Age up to the point where they could actually leave the planet and come to them <laughs> because time was traveling so fast on the planet hmm. 
that multiple generations had gone by. Oh, yeah. There, well, there's a similar idea in uh, Interstellar, also the Christopher Nolan movie. Oh, yeah. That was a good flick. Yeah, it was. There's the planet that's, you know, near enough to the black hole. Oh, right. So that, you know, going down to the planet means that you're losing 25 years or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Is science fiction doing us a justice? You know, I think a lot of people who who aren't really invested in this stuff say, oh, well, that was in a movie. Oh, I saw that on a show and therefore it can't be real. Right. You know, but these. <laughs> but that's the whole point of, of science fiction is that and, it covers all of these ideas. <laughs> right. And a lot of people think of science fiction and they think of soft science and hard science as being the same thing. But yeah. But for those of you exactly. listening out there, there are two types of science fiction. And there's a big gray area in between, but there's soft science fiction mm-hmm. and there's hard science fiction. Soft science fiction would be like Pierce Anthony. It would be like Star yeah. Wars in the beginning, laser swords, riding dragons and space and stuff like that. Some it's of basically, Ray Bradbury, though a lot of the other stuff's hard. Right. Yeah. It, it's imagination based. Hard right. science fiction is Arthur C. Clarke. You Asimov, know, yeah. Asimov, you know, we're dealing with. Basically, this is an extension of the science we know, and in a lot of cases, not a huge extension. You know, right. pretty close. You know, one of the real interesting ones here recently is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, I think was a really cool kind of soft science look to a hard science uh, concept. Did mm-hmm. you see that movie? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought that was yeah. a great one. And that one always made me think of a Ray Bradbury story. It's like they took a Ray Bradbury story and made a movie out of it. Yeah, well, Ray Bradbury you know, was notably prolific. And I think he's kind of, he covered a lot of territory that other people were like, oh, didn't Ray Bradbury do that? Oh, yeah, but it was in like some story that he sold to a journal for, you know, 50 bucks and never thought about it again. Yeah, well, a good percentage of (laughs) those original Twilight Zones were actually um, Ray Bradbury stories. Mm -hmm. And then when I was a a kid, uh, USA Up All Night had, had Ray Bradbury Theater, which was an entire show of half-hour episodes uh, based on Ray Bradbury short stories, and it was pretty cool. Hmm. All right, well, you're listening to Radio Wasteland. When we come back, we got some news. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland. Sean, you got some news for us? I do. Um, So normally I want to report on, like, a recent event, but sometimes when it's really cool, I will report on an interview or or an article or whatever. just trying to make people aware of that. So... In Vice, um, or rather an extension of Vice, Motherboard, I guess, which is you know part of their whole media thing, there was an interview um, in the last couple of days with uh, some people from basically a, a hotline that you call to report uh, UFO sightings, mm-hmm. um, and they covered like their top 10 most credible sightings that they've gotten on this hotline. Oh, really? And what caught my interest was that one of them was from an airline pilot over Mount Shasta. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. And so, I want to read this thing here. All right. Let's, you know, local interest. Um, I am an airline captain. My co-pilot and I were on our way from LAX at FL380. I don't know what that means. That's the flight. Thank you. And we were in the Mount Shasta area. It was a smooth flight and very little ATC communications were going on. We decided to look out and up at the night sky for falling stars and or satellites passing overhead. We were heading about 310 degrees and to our 2 o'clock high, maybe 50 
degrees up from the horizon, I noticed two brighter-than-normal stars and mentioned to my co-pilot that I didn't remember ever seeing those two stars that were brighter than the surrounding stars in the background. The two lights were approximately an inch apart in the windscreen and the size of normal stars. Just as I said that, one of the stars dimmed out over about a 10-second time span, followed by the other one dimming out completely in about 10 seconds also. The stars, now obviously lights, were not in motion, they were not satellites, and were not falling stars. They were as stationary as the stars in the background. We were flying in crystal clear skies and not flying through any clouds whatsoever. These two lights were not following the typical west-to-east orbital path as most satellites do and were just sitting there kind of like ships hiding in plain sight. The altitude of the lights appeared to be outside of the atmosphere. We were flying at 38,000 feet, approximately 7 miles up, and these were at least 100,000 feet up. The thing was that they were extremely bright and not moving. Mankind does not have craft that can fly at that altitude and not be moving. Huh. Yeah. So they mentioned in this article that a lot of times what they're looking for is basically witnesses who know what they're talking about. Right. And who are, you know, sober-minded in their assessment and, and seem credible, I guess. It's it's a lot more, you know, based on, like, the character of the witness, I guess, what whether they deem it to be credible. But, you know, Frankly, that, it should be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I'm not going to say to an airline pilot, hey, you don't know what you're talking about, right? Right. Um, and so that's that's what a lot of these were, you know, airline pilots, other pilots, uh, police officers, that sort of thing. I don't know what gives police officers that same degree of credibility. But, you know, in, in any case, they're less likely to be perpetrating a hoax, right? Well, I think so. But, I, yeah. I think um, Perpetrating a hoax for a cop, if you were to get caught, would definitely put your job in, in jeopardy. Right. And with all this stuff with cops on the news and stuff like that, <laughs> I, I believe there are bad cops. But right. I think most of them are out there just trying to help people right. and do their thing. I think most of them are credible. I think people in general are terrible. <laughs> and, you know, I don't think, yeah. you know. Well, you know, Mount Shasta is a... Is a pretty huge UFO hotspot, but yeah. it hasn't really come up too much here before. And a lot of that's like a lot of the sightings I've heard associated with Mount Shasta are like, well, I saw some, you know, big white disc shaped UFOs that were fluffy at the edges. And I was like, were those clouds? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's literally the, fluffy at the <laughs> that's literally the type of thing I've heard. But this. You know, this is not that. No, this it's is from not 2015. That. You know, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the um, Mount Shasta stuff seems to get a little spiritual, a little yeah. crystally, you yeah. know, a little a little uh, take my aura picture kind of thing. <laughs> you know, which I mean, I I find all that stuff interesting too, but right, but I find it to be soft science and not right. It's hard not a, science. in the same realm as all the other stuff we've been talking about right. on the show. So, but I am surprised we haven't had any Lemurians on here yet. Maybe we no. need to throw out our net a little while. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you're listening to Radio Wasteland. Thanks for checking us out. Come on back next week.
crazy little thing. Bedfellows, which is how Jesus's hippie clan became such a mainstay of the 4th of July Dickers Department Store Chili-Eating Contest and Brodale Parade, during which Jesus's chauffeur, Jimbo, gazed through the haze of the marijuana smoke in his rearview mirror and mistook Maybell's Dodge Interceptor for a police car in hot pursuit. As an ex-dirt track motorcycle racer, Jimbo had a habit of making left turns only, and plenty of them. So when he lit out and may followed, a whole caravan of raiding cookies went whipping around the Woolworths block like a motorized spinner reel with a loosely beaded lure. The hand snapping off akin to an alligator lizard, whipping around and separating from his tail. Jimbo used an abandoned couch in front of the barber shop as a burn and skittered up the Piccadilly Plaza parking lot, ascending with May's hot foot seemingly hitched to his rear bumper like a pair of Roman candles in a kitchen blender filled with carbonated ectoplasm. Upon reaching the summit of the layered concrete mountain, Jesus woke up from his slumber to realize he was airborne and descended through the rooftop of a counter-correctional facility. That's how you might say he landed in jail. And how Billy got sprung. Oh, but that's another story. Jesus, I'm old jail, can never catch me, it's not 